Welcome to the Sold Too Early Sports Card Podcast, investing in our future, and it's going poorly. That's Kai, I'm hashtag investing in Blitzball, and we have a special guest tonight, Austin NPT Cards. Austin, how the hell are you doing, man? Good, bro. I'm uh, actually didn't go to Dallas this weekend, so I'm well rested, uh, ready to go and get into this podcast, man. It's good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Listen, I appreciate you coming on. Um, it is a shame you missed um, the Dallas Card Show. Kai also missed it as well. Austin, it, ch- it sucks you weren't there. Kai, not so much. Um, <laughs> I think leading in with that conversation is pretty good. Um, I wanted to give a little bit of thoughts on it. Um, a little background, too, because this was probably the most fun Dallas show I've had. And it was pretty financially successful, but it was a lot more fun. So, for reference, Lane... LJK cards. Everyone's fucking Instagram name is the exact same. Austin, do you know Lane at all or no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Kai obviously knows him too. Uh, Lane ended up going there like last minute. He was working with Layton. He was buying up inventory. And at like 2 a.m. on Thursday night, he's like, hey, can someone send me the link to the hotel? I want to book a room last minute. Hey, no problem, man. I got you. Lane ends up with the fucking penthouse. Because um, a lot of people, I guess, canceled last minute because of the Rangers winning the World Series. They're like, we're going to go from this hotel to the game or whatever. So Lane had the penthouse. And it literally was like us and like five or six other like collectors and like the folks from Alt just bullshitting in this penthouse for like two straight nights, just laughing and drinking and like hanging out. It was like way more socially fun than like hanging out in the lobby at 3 a.m. like trying to make deals like after a, a long day of setting up at the show so fun that sounds like a lot of fun that's Dude, the way it should be bro it really should be that way there's a balance to all of this and i think a lot of people don't really seem to get it because if you like grind yourself to the ground you, you just end up miserable like there has to be some level of like being comfortable with like doing a good but not great job but also understanding hey I'm a person and I want to like enjoy myself like with my friends and my peers. And, and to me, that was the part that I will remember a lot more of than like all the sales and trades and buying that I did, which was good. But like, I'll, I'll cherish that a lot more than like whatever fucking amount of money I would have made going to trade and kill myself over it. Yeah. I mean, bur- burnout's a real thing. And I feel like, you know, people throughout the show, like I know if you guys go to shows, they'll ask you all the time, are you going to trade now? Are you going to trade now? I'm, like, I'm always, the same way absolutely not (laughs) i work from 8 a.m until 5 p.m and i don't sit down and i don't i don't want to go do another you know what i mean like it's good to relax and make those connections and like i always say your network is your net worth like being around people and it doesn't have to be business related just getting to know people and having friends and developing that is all great like this is like a great aspect of life like you not only grow business-wise but you know creating friendships for life that's like priceless you know yeah yeah i feel like i feel like for a lot of like normal collectors you kind of have to hit that burnout of going to the trade nights to realize like how fucking tired you are afterward and then be like i think i'll take the night off the next night you don't really know that or think about it until you do it yeah like well not even that too i mean Kai, it's a little different when you're setting up as well. Austin, as a repacker and someone who is constantly buying, I'm sure you have a different experience as well, which we'll get into. But as a dealer, like the Dallas Card Show is a fucking marathon. Um, the doors open on like Friday at like 9 a.m. and the show goes till 8 p.m. 
So if you want to take full advantage of the day and you're a dealer, it's already 10, 11, 12 hours. You're going to be up and like on and like you have to be on your A game. And then, yeah, you probably or should will get dinner. But that it's 10 p.m., let's say, till whenever you choose to go to bed of making more deals. And yeah, the burnout does exist. Like it really starts to feel it. I mean, I can only speak for myself. Like by Saturday afternoon, like when the show should be like fully going, I'm like, I wish I was home. I miss my bed. Like, need an energy drink or something. <laughs> it's it's crazy. crazy to me. I'll drink like two, three coffees at this point because I really just don't stop. You know, my my days just start and go the whole day, or I get surpassed by competition. You know, well, card shows you... card shows used to be a lot more. I would get say fun for me. Now it's like it's it's strictly business when I go to shows. It's I have a goal to accomplish and I have to do it. So speaking of your goal, I mean, obviously you are in a different space entirely in the collection world than us, which, hey, listen, I always appreciate different perspective. What are your typical day-to-day -day in the show life kind of entail? Like, what are you targeting? What is your main goal? Do you set expectations for yourself or it's, hey, whatever happens, happens. I'm just here to buy as much inventory as I can and then make sure I move it as soon as possible. I'm an extremely goal-oriented person. Like, even for myself, like for my team, just everything revolves around setting a goal. So um, like everything, the goal changes almost day to day. You guys know the kind of market we've been in, what we've seen over the last 12 months, what we see now. Um, the goal four months ago was to walk into a show and buy literally every single card I could because we were moving so much inventory. Um, now, if I go to a show, I have a very specific range that I need to fit the criteria for the packs. Like our floor would be $50 on some products. The floor would be 100 on others. Like we have to get that very specific price cost niche to make the packs profitable for everybody. They have to be good for the end consumer. They have to be profitable for us. Um, so it, it changes, you know, it, it, the market's always adapting. Yeah, I mean... This is a loaded question, of course. Like, what are your thoughts on the current market? Do you see an end coming soon? Do you think this is healthy? Very loaded question. I'm leaving it up for interpretation for you. What What do you currently think? I I was going to make a reel on this today and and kind of focus more in on the fact that a lot of flippers um, are going to be priced out and outworked, and they ultimately provide zero value. So I was I woke up today with a thought about how much it costs to set up as a dealer, yep. right? And you got a guy who not even just one table. There's guys who have mul like multiple tables, three, four tables. It probably costs like I don't know two grand. What does it cost per table? Six hundred bucks. So it depends. I can tell you right now for what I spent for Dallas for three days, um, all in was about two grand with flying, hotel um expenses otherwise it was about two grand and it was profitable of course but i had one table to myself didn't split it with anyone and i and i spent more money on my flight than the average person would but to set up at a show they're traveling to at a minimum is probably gonna be about a grand to 12.50 to do it comfortably all right so let's put this into perspective right you're a dealer and you know no one's as sharp as you david you're a pretty sharp guy i mean gotta to get up it. to to get up and per perform at your kind of speed is not easy. Sure. You're a one of one of a kind guy. 
Um, there are people who set up and don't even move high-end cards, right? I know you focus on a little bit of everything, but you're, you know, most of your stuff is over a thousand dollars, right? I would These say, guys, sorry, I would say right now you have to adapt in the market. My inventory is between like two fifty and like five grand because yeah, ultra yeah. high-end is getting fucking crushed. Yeah, so I mean. It used to be you would go to the Dallas show and flip a couple $4,000 cards and make four or 500 a piece. Now the focus is on a volume game, I feel, where the margins are getting pinched. Um, people are fighting for every percent dollar comp. Like it'll be at one, I'll literally have negotiations over $5 with kids. And I'm like, dude, you're just wasting my time at this point. Like I, I find that the floor keeps dropping of what everybody's selling. And I, and I look at Josh Roth, for example, right? He went from $20,000 cards to $10,000 cards to $5,000 cards. And then in Chantilly, I bought like $800 cards off of him. And it's like, obviously you have to go where the opportunity goes, but the range keeps falling of what people are buying and selling, which is ultimately going to affect the price, right? If nobody's buying it anymore, it's the, the value is not going to stay up there. Like nobody's going to be bidding it up publicly on auction. Um, so I, 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 until the volume kind of slows down and deteriorates, I think everything's still pretty healthy, right? There's a lot of money flowing around. People love this. This is like, in the end, like you said, this is a hobby, um, for majority of people, I would say for a certain percent of people like myself, it, it turned more from a hobby into a business. And I chose to go that path. Um, people want to hate on, on doing that. It, you know, there's always the guys that have a lot to say about doing that. But in the end, this is a game where people love. Um, so as long as people are loving it, the market's going to be there. I think you touch on a lot of important points there. And, and there's a follow-up question to that, too. Um, what is interesting, as prices of cards continue to go down, I've noticed the wax itself seems to go up. I'm not oh sure you thought... I'm not sure you guys saw this today. Um, first off the line, NT Basketball for 2022. So like Paolo's rookie year. Uh, Dutch, it, was right? at, it was up at Dutch auction. It did forty-seven fifty. That's what it closed at per box. So what's what's a Paolo True going to sell for in in reality? Three grand, four, five grand, maybe five k. Yeah. Day day yeah. one or like a month or two from now. I don't care Either, about day one. I'm, like, I'm talking about. It'll probably I'm, sell for fifteen off the rip, and it'll be like yeah. six the next week. <laughs> that's no, Crazy, that's exactly yeah. what's gonna happen. Like it is going to start at like fifteen to twenty k for like a true NTRP at a ninety nine, and then you fast forward three, four, five months, it'll be under ten. Then two, three months later, it's under seventy five hundred, and then it's like what the fuck? And that is theoretically one of the best players you can get from it's the, the best product. card you can get. Yeah, and then you get let's say you pull oh god, what's like a random like Benedict Mathurin's like a pretty good player. Chance like, in there too, but. Yeah, like that NTRP true will be under the cost of a box regardless after like the first three days. It's like, all right, well, shit, I'm fucked. Yeah, Matherin probably won't even sell for a thousand, I'll bet. I mean, he hasn't come off to a good start, but I think guys like Ivy and Jalen Duran who've been playing pretty well in Detroit, you know, they're, they're not going to be those big selling guys. Like the volume will be there. I think it's good to speculate on guys like that, but you're not ripping a box of NT at 4,500 and be happy with hitting those guys. No, you'd be you like, know, I just lost three grand. Oh, there's God, no I'm way they're going to cover the cost of the box. Yeah. They're not even going to cover half. They might not no. even cover a quarter. You hit a top five guy and you still get fucked. It's unbelievable. I mean, we're assuming 
we're assuming you even hit a rookie. What if you hit like a veteran patch order, yeah. like a Dirk, which is like in every fucking product, let's say, or you hit um like a decent like get a Shaq patch auto. I'm I'm not sure if Shaq patch autos exist in NT. Doesn't matter. I'm sure they do. Like oh, that's like four hundred dollars. Yeah, exactly. Shit. I it's just, um. It's so scary. I, I kind of have an inside look because you know my guys are, are breakers. You know that's how we move our our repacks is through dollar auctions on whatnot, and um, they they sit on there and they break all day. And I know that it's gotten very tough to um to move bigger products and remain profitable and listen it is very expensive to do what they do they have a big office like the offices are huge for a lot of these places you have to they employ 20 plus people there's a lot that goes in the breaking that people don't see the inside of yep. um and there's things that they cannot control obviously you always get the bad rep of people who do shady stuff it it, it exists but the, there are good people out there and it's getting hard to make money because these wax prices and distributors are just, they're keeping the price so just up there. I mean, you, you rip select basketball at a thousand dollars. I mean, I'm buying these, these product hits like gold chets are going for $500. You know what I mean? Like a gold chet disco I got offered for like 600. I turned it down because the last comp was like five. You know what That's I mean? Crazy. That's just an example. Like who's going to be buying into breaks like that to chase those products no and, and breaking it uh, breaking unfortunately those prices are a loser's game unrelated but hey if you want to promote your your whatnot and, and the affiliates you're using i mean dude please feel free to do uh, so right well i make the repacks i'm I, I make bada bangs those are sold exclusively on swish breaks and swish hits um on whatnot those yep. guys are basically live you know, 20 hours a day. They're all, they're all good people over there. Um, I'll make sure to go link to that because, Hey, you're doing us a solid by being here. At least I could do is making sure that they're, if you are interested, yeah, listen, I feel the need to promote the good products and stuff, because as you and I both are aware, there are repacks that, um, for lack of a better word, are fucking trash. Garbage. I have heard horror stories from friends who are setting up in Dallas from those who bought into even the higher end repacks um, from people who weren't even card collectors. They were just unfortunately degenerates or they were Pokemon collectors and said, hey, you know, my cost basis on this card is a thousand dollars and they would have to break the news to them that that thousand dollar card they thought they got was worth like 250 bucks. And it was um, it was quite ugly. Yeah, I mean. Even all that stuff that came out recently, too, where that, that Gamble Gamble guy got crushed. I mean, I just saw the YouTube videos and, like, they, they were, there were a lot of views, a lot of reaction on it. And I thought YouTube personally was dead. I don't, I don't go on YouTube and watch, but I went on and I saw that. And I was like, you know, there's, there's two people to blame in this, right? Obviously, you got to blame the guy who's orchestrating it. He, he's doing it with malintent, right? Yep. And then two, you got to put blame on the buyers. I mean, complacency only goes so far. Like, you got to use your head a little bit. If you're buying and putting money into things like that, you should at least do some sort of research. If you just follow everybody blindly into war, it's like you're never going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you got to do a little bit of research. So... It goes both ways. There's two two different parties to blame. Um, I have a question. So, 
you don't have to say exact like formula or anything, but when it comes to like building a successful one, like you guys did, what's like the formula that goes into like creating like card by card or like the entire product? Like, how do you go about like planning it and executing it? So like any other distributor for wax, we, we have to make a case, right? There's, there's either 10 boxes or 12 boxes a case. And each case has to be close to average. Um, there's, there's a hundred dollar floor on our one product with a ceiling of two grand. Um, yeah. you're going to have floor cards in the case. They're going to probably be four or five floor cards. There's going to be middle cards that are anywhere from three to 500 bucks. And then usually one big card that ranges anywhere from like 850 all the way up to 2k, right? It changes. Um, and, and sometimes we take losses on cases too, because we they sell them at a, a flat rate, right? We don't adjust the price of what we sell them for based on what's in it they're sold at a flat price all the time so we could put a two thousand dollar card in there and if we're selling the case for three grand it's already you know you're already taking a loss on the case but you have to take losses to make a good product overall if you if you lose on five cases and make on 20 you're profitable correct yep um so that changes and the margins are pretty slim man i'm not gonna lie like i focus more on doing volume because if you go anywhere outside like the 20% profit margin zone, um, just think about when you're buying cards from somebody, that 20% difference, um, it adds up, you know, that that puts more into our pockets and less into the consumer's pockets, which in the end kind of waters down a good repack, you know, you want people to be getting good value out of it. So sticking and focusing on a volume game where the margins are a little bit more slim but you could push 10x the amount because people trust it. They get their money back. They make money. It makes it come right back in and revolving all over again. So I think staying consistent is a good formula. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes perfect sense. Cool. It's so interesting to me because obviously I, I'm a personal big believer in the repack industry only because there's so much liquidity that is offered that I think a lot of people are not really want to say out loud because buyers like yourself, um, backyard and anyone else who like walks these shows who pays very strong, which in this instance, let's say is 85% plus of sold comps. They are offering something that a lot of people are afraid to these days, which is cash or at least PayPal or Venmo or whatever. They're offering an ability for someone to actually get their theoretical margins and leave enough room on it for them to go and turn around and make money for themselves. Now, it almost sounds like I just said something inappropriate or bad because a lot of people do not want to actually call out um, the good that repackers can provide to a lot of dealers. I mean, the I, I say this all the time and I, I partially joke about it, but and also like I'm serious about it. If I stopped doing what I was doing and purchasing at the amounts that I would be doing, the market would also go very low. Um, we win majority of the auctions on eBay and I know the other couple of rebackers do as well, where, you know, there's certain cards that we need and we're bidding on them and bidding up the price between whether we're fighting each other or whatever the case is, we are putting money into the market and buying these cards, right? If someone like that just steps out and stops buying up these cards, I, I don't, I think the floor falls out. I think there's a couple, there's like five prominent dominant um whatnot breakers that do a lot of buying at the shows um and it also they they buy pretty complacent i wasn't in dallas but 
I was told that repackers were paying close to a hundred percent. I almost said a thousand percent. A hundred percent. I wish. Um, and that's crazy. I mean, ironically enough, a lot of the stuff I sold were not to repackers. The only notable one that I could think of was like Michi, and I think that's connected to Jason Koontz, I believe is how you say his last name. Otaya Sports. I believe those are the only repackers I happen to sell to this time. But I have a pretty good relationship with everyone. I mean, clearly you're on this podcast. Um, the backyard guys have bought off me a couple times, but whoever was there, like, was paying very strong. Hell, Brian Gray, who owned Leaf, was set up next to me. He set up for a day. He uh, bought out the person who was sitting up, who was set up next to us. It was 120 grand worth of inventory. He paid 65K. Or I'm sorry, 63K cash and just took all the stuff and went home. I mean, that's a pretty good come up, right? I mean, yeah, if I'm dude. running on 50% profit margin, I'm going to retire after a year. <laughs> now, you have 63 grand in cash to hand out. I think that's kind of what, uh, what you start counting hundreds on the table. It's really hard to turn that down. Um, that was fucking that, cool. That, my area now of Dallas, so for anyone who has never been to the Dallas show, hasn't come up and said hi or whatever, so if you walk into the main room and go to the right, it is now just this fucking amalgamation of like uh, Deal Me Slabs, possibly Brian Gray, who will be back, and like a lot of like heavy hitters in the buying and selling world. I mean, it's not, I'm somehow included in that, which is really funny. Um, we had Jay there, Mojo Sports, who then moved his spot for like a better like filming location. And you just got, you know, the founder of Leaf just now chilling there who was gone after a day, which is really fucking funny um, to say out loud. But yeah, even like people like that, you have the money, you have the ability to make some incredible margins, um, especially when you have cash and you, and you Put it on the yeah, table. You, you've always had a good spot in Dallas. I love coming to see you. I Dude, always I, buy at least like 10 cards off of you. I, so I paid a grand just for the naming rights of that spot. And it was some of the best money I've ever spent. Yeah, I mean, people were reselling booth rights at one point to Dallas. It got that crazy. Like, <laughs> I, it, it, the whole thing just became insane. They're raising the rates for 2024. But you know what, dude? I don't fucking care. Like, it is... It is a show that happens six times a year, and like that does sound like a lot, but Dallas is probably the second or third best show in the entire country that happens continuously. I mean, Nash National is number one. That's not really fair to compare it to, but then it's Burbank and Dallas, and those are kind of on the same level, in my opinion. Dallas is just like a link up at this point, in a, like a meeting place somewhere yeah. in the country where everybody can just come socialize because it, it really is like the same people that go over and over again to dallas you know i see the same people and you know i give them a couple months to re-up on inventory and then buy them all out again and it's like all right see you in two months you know it's the same but, people dealing with each other but that's literally it and, and you brought up something interesting too that i wanted to, to double back on you said you were buying on ebay and whatever paying ebay comps whatever but how much inventory do you source percentage wise from like shows, Instagram, eBay, local deals? Like what is question. that what is that percentage generally e look like? eBay's probably like ten percent maybe. And okay. eBay's like that real fine tune. Like we get the best of the best cards that we think, you know, describe what our brand stands for and just really get the stuff that's hard to find you know if it's replaceable and i could get it off instagram i'm not gonna buy it on ebay it makes no sense but if there's a card that i really like that's you know number the 10 or less 
you know, some old school immaculate stuff. You know what I'm talking about. The good yeah, stuff. The good Real, stuff. Yeah. The good quality collector items that you cannot replace. I'll buy those on eBay and I'll, I have people who are hired to do that also. Um, How many employees do you have or like people you're working with? Um, there are five partners that all contribute. And then there are two, three full-time guys who work on the ceiling of the product and the eBay and tracking the mail. And it, it's crazy, you know? So, so it's, not just like, so it's not you behind people. the computer in Excel, like typing in like- Typing all night, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is to a point because I am majority of the, you know, the person who buys the cards. I would say I probably contribute to like 80%, 90% of the inventory that goes into there. Um, I don't buy on eBay, so I guess that 10% of what's eBay is, you know, someone else. Yeah. I cover the other. So we got we got this good question from cards, 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 cards underscore, cards underscore, cards underscore. What are the highs? What are the highs and lows of repacking? Is there ever so much as like too much of a good player? Like when do you feel like you're a little too greedy? When do you feel like you can be more aggressive? Like wh what does that like really feel like for you? You guys want to know what's crazy and we could go through all of this about Please. how much we've lost. We lost about 14 grand on Wander Franco. We lost <laughs> about 10 grand on Trey Lance. We lost about uh, maybe like a couple thousand on Zach Wilson, a couple thousand on Mac Jones. I mean, the list goes on and on. It, it happens to a point where if you got to, you know, the, the current star in baseball who is someone you always want to put in your repacks. It's a big name. The guys pay for the raise and breaks. It's it top, you know, and he goes and does that. Like you can't continue to put him in the product, right? It no. makes no sense. So what do you do with it? Um, I don't have the time to sit there and sell all these auctions at, on eBay and ship them all and do all that. So it's just sitting there collecting dust. Maybe we get to use it again. Who knows? But so um, when, that's sorry, okay. When, when you say you lost the money on like Trey Lance, Wander Franco, whatever, was that more just because you happened to buy those cards two months before the allegations happened or Trey Lance was bad or whatever? Or it was just like inventory you just so happened to have that was in product that you had to pull out for? We have to that. sit on a lot of product. I mean, we probably have close to half a million in inventory at all times. Holy fuck. Yeah, like the bins. I, I would, because that's how we just move a lot of, we move volume, man. I do what we do. Close to a million a month in sales. What the fucker? What the fuck? Why are you the one buying then? <laughs> Chill. Go hang out on a beach somewhere. Get the fuck out of the office. Um, I, it it turns over pretty quickly, man. You'd be surprised. There's there's a lot of moments where I'm super desperate and we have no basketball cards, and it's like if we don't have the product, we're not making any money. We're actually losing money by not putting the product out there um, to be sold. So it's always good to have the right inventory and obviously like it, like you said it the risk is you know sitting on stuff like that but also it has ups and downs you know it depends going, oh, i was gonna say going off like kind of what he asked how did you get started and not like like deal with the struggles like did you have a deal in place when you first started that they would guarantee to sell a certain amount of cases or like good you question. had enough startup money like how did you kind of like get started I mean, we did an initial raise and then it's just, they'll, they'll move the product. It's, it's not a question of if it's when, yeah. um, they're, they're just, they're, they're all beasts in that office and they're top five page and whatnot. They're gonna, they're gonna move it. 
one week might be slow it doesn't matter that the money will come in eventually they they will move it and people will buy it because it's a good product and they enjoy it how many repack uh, cases do you guys rip per week you believe um at the height in august i think we did about 150 cases of each of the nba and the nfl so it's 300 times there's 12 box 12 cards a case so 300 times 12 and that's just like the mid-end product whatever that adds up to that number jesus um, christ we we did like 1.3 million in sales in august so that's fucking absurd first yeah, off like nuts. I mean, congrats to you. I've known you for a long time. Actually. I don't know, four or five or six, something kind of It's wild. been a long time. It has been a long time. And COVID kind of screwed up my mind and like perception of time. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've really seen the come up and it's incredible to see. I mean, obviously it's well-earned. You guys bust your ass and it's, you know, I can sing all the praises I want to, but you've, you've heard it before. What do you really believe is like the next step? What's the evolution of uh of what you're doing is there a way to evolve on it um what do you foresee and and how this grows as far as as the hobby as a general or our kind of company and what oh, how, how it goes hand in hand like maybe thoughts on fanatics um or just like ways to ingrain yourself more within the industry um i, I feel like predicting on where the hobby itself is going is kind of crazy of me to do because nobody really knows. I mean, we don't know Fanatics plans. That's something only Fanatics has. You know, they there's a lot more smart people on their team than there are out here. Um, so we try not to focus too much on that and focus on what we can control. And the next step for us as a whole is to start moving our product kind of like Hit Parade does um more of like a retail standpoint right where you could just go on blowout form and buy our product or you could go on my instagram and buy our product you could go on someone else's breaking channel and buy our product other breakers are having it i think that's the next step for us um for a while it was very hard to even have enough inventory to support the in-house um like to supply swish with so until they were covered right they they have they're the only ones who have the product right now until they have enough of what they need we can't start distributing it elsewhere so that's the next step right so crazy um, and, and you're telling me you tell me also that sports cards and the stock market are not connected because uh, you are very uh fluent when it comes to stocks and investing in that particular way what do you think about the parallels that people draw between trading cards and you know the s p 500 outside i mean like it's not that they have a direct correlation, but like the stock market also doesn't have a correlation with the economy because the economy could be in a full blown recession, but the stock market is still moving on, um, you know, bub bubble demand, right? Like it's, it's, there's no, like for right now, for example, there's nowhere else to put your cash, right? With inflation at where it is, having cash in your bank account is actually a loss like you were losing money by not having your money working for you right yep. <clears throat> so are they intertwined maybe if the stock market's not performing and assets aren't performing why would anybody have money in sports cards you know obviously for the for the art side of things it's great but there's a lot of stuff now that's just so mass produced and the supply is so high and it's not a one-of-a-kind piece and it's replaceable 
why would those asset prices stay high when other things are coming down? You know what I mean? Oh, the I demand, the I demand has to match. So it's the same with any asset class, right? And, and this works for real estate too, where if there's one bad comp on a house, it's going to affect the other listings in the area. And it's crazy because one idiot can sell for low and then it affects the whole market. And we work in the same landscape and we could all look at each other and be like, wait, this is absolutely stupid, but we all still stick by it. And it's like our Lord and savior, you know, the comp is the comp. Like, you know, it's crazy. I I can't wait to go and try and buy a house in the next couple of years and be like, I'm going to pay 75% comps on this house. <laughs> yeah. I want to see what happens. And they'll be like, wow. dude, repackers get Blackstone's percent, <laughs> man. You gotta beat Blackstone, and everybody's like, "Wait, we don't have the backing to beat Blackstone." It's like you don't have the backing to beat the repackers. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so funny how it works. It's the same market, and it's all fugazi. It runs on fake numbers, and that's it. So, so what you're telling me is that we have to make a repack now, and the top chase has to be the D to a house, right? That's what I'm getting. <laughs> Yeah, well, in the end, it is just straight gambling. I mean, the, the the whole hobby as itself has been revolved around gambling. It's about what are you going to open out of this pack, and is this player going to have a good year? It, whatever the case is, there is forms of gambling, and the repacks are a total gamble. So. You just you just brought up something very very spicy that was told to me in Dallas, and the more I thought about it, the more I mean, this is obviously incredibly stupid. But there is logic to it. I don't remember who I had this conversation with, so I'm sorry. But they were trying to convince me that people under your children under the age of 18 should not be allowed to open packs of cards. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is stupid. But I understand why you're saying it. And it was such a nuclear take that you just gave me like, the brain blast moment to remember that. Because it was just like, no. But wait, hang on. There's, there's logic here. It was scary. I'm a, I'm a very like libertarian-esque, so I don't like people telling me what I can and cannot do. Like for myself as a young kid, I opened packs and it was, I used to live for it, bro. I used to sell everything in my collection just to open one pack. You know what I mean? It was just fun. I enjoyed it. It was great. Did it make financial sense? Absolutely fucking not. It never will. Um, so you, but you learn from that, right? You, you know, or you, you should learn from it. I learned from it. And there's ways where you have to get smarter about how you want to protect your, your money and your capital because people like you and us, we need capital. It's our, it's our firepower without capital. We don't make money in this industry. Um, so if you're not protecting it, that that's on you, right? It's, it's a personal decision. It's, it's, it's a joy opening a pack it's like a treat as a kid like i used to get that as a hot a christmas present a birthday present i used to look forward to it do you have the goal of making money on it no you enjoy it you collect it you sort it you you wait a year for the player to come up it, it's people are taking this way too serious right in the end like i said it is a hobby and every and the only reason it works is because people love it I think there is something to people taking it too seriously. I, when, when you're negotiating a deal, unfortunately, you have to be serious because that second that you get caught slipping is the difference between thousands or hundreds or and, yeah, and yeah, I've been, yeah. The, when I'm you're in the term opening wax, it's it's very yeah. Oh, just, dude, opening wax, you are financially for a kid. Just, yeah, you're gonna lose money no matter what. 
I will also note that, I mean, I'm sure Austin, you were not opening up like prison football or, you know, prison basketball as a kid, um, where, you know, it was 300, $400, $500 a box, uh, mostly because those prices did not exist when we were younger. And, and you could spend 20 bucks and be very satisfied with what you're opening in a pack of cards. In I back was hyped in to open the 2011 Topps Chrome Rack Pack, man, from, from Target. You had the, you had two packs on top. You had two packs on the bottom. The one on the bottom was a three-card pack of orange refractors, and you're looking for Cam Newton, Dalton. That QB class was crazy. I don't know if you guys remember, but like Gabbert, Locker, Ponder, yeah. all these first-round quarterbacks were so hyped up, and it was like, oh, man, who's next, you know? But it's so interesting because, like, that parallel 12 years later, it's like, man, I can't wait to pull Bryce Young to just shout. Oh, wait, fine. Maybe one oh, of those guys. Oh, wait. Christian Ponder is out of the league in a year and a half. I have more passing yards than Christian Ponder does. <laughs> Jimmy Clausen, what are you doing here? Oh, my gosh. But that's that's the reality of it, man. That's the game we've played. It's like I said, it's a casino, but it's fun. And you have man. Andy Dalton, who's like solid and he doesn't sell for jack shit. Yeah, plenty yeah. of good years. I yeah. think he was a Pro Bowl once or twice. Yeah. No, he, he definitely made the Pro Bowl at least once. Hang on, I mean, I'll he probably has like 40,000 passing yards. You can get his rookie auto for like $2 probably. Yeah, absolutely. And he's he's a, probably the best backup in the league, I'd say. Yeah. So not only was Dalton a Pro Bowler, he was a three-time Pro Bowler. He had his rookie year, his fourth year, and his sixth year. He had 40,000 passing yards, Kai, 38.5, exactly. But... <laughs> Nice. I mean, good call. There is something to that, though. I mean, obviously, he's a backup quarterback who's never going to market anyway. But as as these young, talented QBs start to age out of their primes, um, those who are really impacted by the price increasing of boxes and cards, what are we going to see in a market? Um, I mean, when you compare. Russell Wilson, NTRPA, someone who has been in the league for quite a while on the downturn of his career. What are we going to see when like a Patrick Mahomes is 33, 34, 35, 36, like the tail end of his career and what his price is going to look like? I was thinking just about this today on the way to the gym, right? It's really scary. And I'm thinking to myself, why is it different? Like, why does Joe Burrow outsell Joe Montana or someone of that esque, right? Like the amount of cards that are now getting made of these guys, like Joe Burrow will have his obvious, his rookie autograph, right? Which everybody wants. You always want the first ones. But each year going forward, these guys get new autographs. And it's like, it goes back to simple supply and demand, right? There's just so much of it on the market. Whereas Joe Montana only had one rookie card. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mickey yeah. Mantle only had one rookie card. These guys have, not only do they have a thousand rookie cards, but they have a thousand second-year cards, a thousand third-year cards, and they just keep going. And it's like, you know, you get a guy who fizzles out at the end of his career, like Russell Wilson. He won a Super Bowl. He's done everything you need to do at the highest level NFL caliber, you know, you can go. And yep. they still just continue to make autos and the price just continues to go down as he loses market share and nobody's focusing or talking about him as much anymore. Um, and I'm already seeing the same with Mahomes. I'm seeing the same with Herbert, seeing the same with Josh Allen. It's the same thing. Um, there's just way too much being produced. So you're right. It's, it, it is a scary, slippery slope. Well, the thing is too, is that we won't really know what it's going to look like until multiple years from now. Because I feel like 
any QB before 2016, 2017-ish. Like before that point, the market was generally trending up like in a healthy way. At some point in time, you could say 2018, 2019, 2020, it exploded past the point of no return. And there will come a day where a Patrick Mahomes is on the tail end of his career, a Josh Allen is on the tail end, Joe Burrow, whatever. And they really are being phased out of the public consciousness versus like QBA, QBB, QBC, who is, you know, these new talented rookies who everyone wants to have their new card of. That is something that I will always keep in mind many years from now because it's scary to see what's going to look like. Well, that's why the whole football market crashed, right? I mean, because everybody was speculating on what's next. And everything of what was available of what's next is dog shit, <laughs> right? I mean, people were buying up Desmond Ritter like crazy. And the speculation on that market was insane. I mean, he hasn't done horrible, but it's not like he was selling for the same as someone who was way more talented than he was. Where's the ceiling on an investment like that? You know, your ceiling has to be winning the Super Bowl. Is that realistic to ask from Desmond Ritter? No. Is it realistic to ask from Sam Howell? No. It's it's like, you know, these false aspirations and ambitions on where these guys go next. Is, it's, it's the speculation of it. And I think yep. when you have a big bubble like that, there's only room for it to go down. We, we don't learn, though, because if there were plenty of cards of – CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis. Exactly. They would be spiking, of course. Now, ironically, there is such a finite supply of their autos that it almost seems to make sense based on their performance. I mean, obviously, the the numbers are, are stupid, but there's at least another logic. There is logic there for those who really, really believe in a Will Levis, CJ Stroud type. Well, I mean... You see cards of Stroud and Levis, and I'll use Levis for example. I was buying his Tops Now autos. Um, he had an auto in Tops Now, like the sealed redemption. Yep, they were exactly pretty that. pretty cool set. Um, and stuff like that, if you want to speculate on these new guys, I think is the way to go. I mean, obviously, it's not the long term card. Like nobody is going to want the unlicensed Bowman Chrome autos of these guys. But at the time, that's the only thing that's publicly traded on these guys. Right? I mean, you have Stroud putting up ridiculous numbers. He looks awesome. Yeah. Why would you not want to get in on that? And, you know, for, for a new collector, I mean, maybe they like him. You know, Houston hasn't had a team to root for in a long time. I'm sure you could get a lot of backing on a guy like CJ Stroud. And that creates a market. That's what causes spikes. That's what causes things to go up. Rather than so, that. did you see the Tyson Beck, uh, CJ Stroud thing that just came out like I today? Did. I have so- not known. So for reference, and for anyone who's not um, seen this yet, uh, Tops released a Tyson Beck, TJ Shroud thing commemorating his 470 yards um, passing on Sunday, and there were 470 autos. They sold out of 400 bucks. So already, you and they're on card, which is awesome. So you're already, you're already seeing the auto supply start to... Um, Go down a little bit, or go up, I should say, because the penny instance only exists for a little I mean, time. In the grand scheme of things, though, like that's nothing compared to normal years, like four hundred seventy no, autos. But that's no, why that's it's great. 
but that's why it's so interesting is there are going to be such a small amount yeah there is and and kai you and i had this conversation i believe last week or two weeks ago at this point where i would not be shocked if down the line in like a chronicles black or like a, a new product if they ever do come to terms with these qbs where a true rookie auto in their pro uniform eventually does come out whether it's this year down the line you never know yeah, but that's that's where also the speculation goes or what, what you asked me prior about what fanatics is going to do like we don't know the route of where this is going right i mean breaking is going to be difficult you see it with you know products like mosaic that came out those guys that people want don't have autos they're not signed you know what i mean they're they're unlicensed that's where where is this path going to cross like what other generational talent are we going to see that maybe doesn't have an nt true and now only has like tops chrome autos or vice versa like where does where does the sentiment change because i don't know how long you guys have been in the hobby for david i know you for a while but um, there's nine years yeah like if you go back nobody liked prism yeah i remember that it was it was it was the cheapest box you could absolutely get basketball nobody even wanted prison basketball like 2012 i remember 2012 prison basketball nobody wanted that it was like the worst product you could get and now it's like this or for a moment it was like 2021 like the most sought after thing there could be it's just crazy what what's going to be the next focus for you know the market to focus on dude i remember in like 2015 2016 the group breaker who i liked at the time they were nasty breaks which was scott bates and i love that guy he was amazing they would rip just cases and cases of prison basketball in like a war setting so like whoever had the lowest number parallel like won all the cards and it was fucking awesome because that was the only way he could get to sell prison basketball because no one really believed in it but he like made it fun <laughs> and um it should and, be yeah. fun it was. It was, dude. It was just like two hundred dollars a, a spot. If you won, you got the entire case, and it was just like he just made a fun environment for it, and That's that was crazy. the only way he was able to move that product. Um, one other thing. What was I gonna say? Oh, um, also speaking of cards as well, did you guys see LeBron James is gonna have dual autos now with his son, um, in Topps Chrome U? I believe it's gonna be. What does that sell for? What do you What do you think? Too much. <laughs> too much. Too much is right. I think um, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's I a cool not, card, but like, I don't, I don't know. It's I would not be shocked if no. the first one, depending on what their numbers, I, I can't imagine they're going to be like just refractor. I mean, what do you think the super does? Like, that's what I'm wondering. The super probably does like 250k. That's no shot. No bro. chance. You think it's over no 100? Chance. I really, I really do. Like because, no, I was yeah, like 30, 40, 50 grand. No <laughs> way. 200. I think, I think we're both. Mickey Mantle doesn't even sell. Yeah, dude, you know how much money that is? I think we both. I think you both are on crack, and I think that my number is closer to right than Dude, how many LeBron cards have even sold for 250 So here is what I'm also going to add to this, too. We can come back to this guy and Austin. Um, the Bronny James Super is on Golden. It's going to be in there, I believe, either November or December Elite Auction. Let's have a conversation when that sells. It's going to sell I, too much. I think that car can sell anywhere between 25 to 100K, and I won't be surprised. I'm going to say like 15 grand. I'm going to say like 10, 15. You guys, 10, 15. Are, both, you guys are both too low. No, you're just crazy, I'm, dude. He's I'm, not I'm even crap. To 100 like, grand, bro? 25. I said 25 to 100. He's, like, he's such an he's average like player. He's, like yeah, he's, not even average. 
people are stupid. I also would not be shocked if the starting bid for that is over 15K for reference. People are dumb. They can't help Maybe. themselves. Someone is going to overbid it. What'd you say? Imagine LeBron just buys it. I, that would be, <laughs> he just rips it up and says, I don't fucking need this yeah, shit. Who cares? Um, that would be funny. Uh, we, we will take a note of this, and I'm going to laugh when that card probably doesn't sell for 100 grand, but probably like 40, and we're just all No wrong. chance. No it's, way, bro. No chance. You guys are both, you're both too low. 100% no chance. I'm going to say, like, I'm going to put the over under at, like, 11 and a half. Way, way over. I would not even be shocked. Twelve and a half. I was gonna say twelve five is my. I'm gonna say that's. I'm gonna say that's a starting bid for the item, because people are stupid. They're gonna get like two bids then. That's fine. Oh, what in that environment? Nobody has that kind of money anymore. That they're just like willingly putting on a random card. Like that was great when NFTs were going. Remember when people were buying NFTs and posting about it on their Instagram? Like it was amazing. It was the greatest. Two thousand of these. Dude, it was the best. And also, once again. The people who spend that money on Ronnie James have too much money anyway. So I believe that my my estimation is closer to right than yours. And we'll and we'll know in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm gonna check Golden right now and see if it's even on their November listing. I don't remember when they said that they were gonna run it, but whoever whoever wins that item is fucking stupid. And and we I think we can all acknowledge that. I mean, that's cool. If anybody guesses the exact number, I don't know if you guys have a comment section, but I'll throw no, out a free box if anybody gets the free, no, uh, the correct number for it. Well, let's just make sure we clarify when this thing fucking runs. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Give me the uh, exact entry date so I don't get screwed out of 500 here. <laughs> it's already over. Only because I don't over. know when this thing is going to run. I believe it's going to be December. Um, only because um, Golden's November seems better. Didn't, be didn't, isn't selling. Didn't this kid have like a heart attack or something? Yes, he didn't. He went to cardiac arrest. It was. It was. It was. How is he playing day. basketball? Uh, I, I don't know if he is playing basketball. Kyle. He's paying a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah, what's the point of it's, the card? It's December. It's December for reference. And uh, why is someone gonna pay hundred grand? Because they have more money remember, than I. Is he do. actually like, playing? I just remembered all that. Hi, good question. Is it just Austin, a picture of him question. in the uniform for fun? Maybe. That makes even rarer. There's only going to be one super of this kid, except for the auto, and I'm sure the other products. And oh, he he definitely will get drafted just because. And oh yeah, his rookies. Oh god, there's maybe going to be a lot of products. Well, they're probably going to draft him to get you know LeBron over yep. there. I, like yeah. he said, he wanted to play with his son. I mean, LeBron obviously can still play the game of basketball. I mean, it's crazy the numbers that he puts up and. I'm not going to necessarily say they're efficient numbers because they are dog shit, the Lakers. And I will, the last three years, I, even the COVID bubble, I think the, that win is just ridiculous. I don't want to count it. I think they suck. Anthony Davis is washed up, has been. He is a cancer to the team, and they have nobody else to support LeBron. So, Michael um, Jordan's your goat. We understand. Go on. I, I, I just, dude, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, he, he's such a – I don't know if it's him because I know he plays a very big role in his surrounding cast, right? He's very hands-on. Um, yeah. We all know that. Why Why do they, Why are they so bad? They're not a good team. They're just so average for how much money and, like, star names they have. LeBron is a better right, GM right. than MJ ever was, only because you can look at the Hornets' entire history with MJ as the owner, and it was quite horrible. Um, well, yeah, you um, could say that, sure. Yeah. I'm I'm also 
I'm like 50% serious. LeBron is the greatest player I've ever seen play in my lifetime, but I think LeBron, I think MJ is better. But in my lifetime, LeBron's the best player I've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah, I would I would say so. I mean, you could you could argue that there's better scores like Durant. But well, yeah, there's a different conversation for scorers, defenders. I think LeBron's probably our, our number one for our, our generation. How old are you guys? 22. I'm 27. 22? 27. Yeah, so we're all the same generation. Yeah. 25. He's going to make a, a Pokemon joke there, but... Uh... I never played Pokemon. I was playing MVP <laughs> Baseball 2005, man. Like... Dude, that's... <laughs> First off, that shit still holds up, so uh, you can play that now oh, if you want. Absolutely. Man, we should kind of have this conversation about doing Super Smash Brothers on this podcast. Maybe we do MVP baseball. There's there's well, something there. to watch. I would tune in to watch it on the YouTube, and I don't watch YouTube. I would tune in to watch that on YouTube. <laughs> Kyle, there's a way to figure this out. We have to get Joku involved too. I know that he was visiting last week. There's He's no coming this week. Though. Oh. That's the hard part. Yeah. I just want to figure it out. Do but it. call me when you got to figure it out. I, I'm I'm sure I will. Another question that I have. Uh, I got one. You got any uh, just random hot takes for sports coming up? Ooh, this is fun. Any sport, um, whatever. Just off the dome. I really like the Knicks, and I'm trying not to be biased, but I really like the Knicks. I think the Knicks are going to surprise a lot of people this year. I I, I think they get too much hate. You need a star. You need to go trade for a star somehow, some way. I mean, RJ's looking like a star. Brunson is most certainly a star. And Julius, Brunson's the best player on your team. Brunson is unbelievable. RJ's averaging 22 a game. He, he looks incredible. And then... I mean, I don't know if you guys have watched the in-and-out days, but Julius Randle was terrible and finally had a good game last night. So, I believe, yeah, I, I I don't follow the NBA super closely until around Christmas time only because, like, the regular season just does not matter. And, like, I get more invested as the season goes on. But I knew Randle was, um, like, literally one of the least efficient scorers for, like, the first, like, three games, which means nothing. So He broke a record that held since, like, 19... 19- 58 or something nice. bro. even so better crazy like oh my god um but in basketball you need a bench to win games and the knicks have a good bench so yeah we'll we'll see how the season goes um once again i i don't claim to be the most knowledgeable about basketball at this moment because i personally don't give a fuck right now call me when like the regular season begins to matter which unfortunately it, it just it doesn't just get to the playoffs and that's really all it seems to mean yeah, there's um, a lot of resting going on right now. It's it's tricky to bet because you got guys who are resting today, not resting today. Who meshes well with this guy? It's it also it's hard to build a chemistry as a team when you keep going in and out of rotations, right? I mean, these guys will play a back to back and then miss two games on the road just to rest and recover. Uh, it's it's a very tricky sport. All of the sports are getting like that, though. I mean, you look at football; half the QBs are dead. Like I know. what kind? I mean, what do you have? What are you selling after that? There's you're not selling. What's the guy's name on Arizona who was just playing? Uh, Clayton Tune. Dude, who's paying to go see Clayton Tune play? Anybody? <laughs> He's not playing the my tune. I don't want to listen to it. that. So there. So obviously, being an NFL quarterback is really difficult, and like there, there's a lot to that. 
I am somewhat convinced if you gave me a 1% chance of playing that game, I could have won the game for the Browns because they were beating the fuck out of the Cardinals on Sunday. It was like 27-0. I think two had like four or five passes completed, like two picks. He looked really, really bad. I'd pay bad so much him. money to watch you play football. I would die. I would, I would, I would pay more deal. to see that than anything. And I, I would kneel. If I was the if I was Sean Watson, which, oh, I'll get started. No, if I was if I was the quarterback for the Browns that day, I would have just taken three, kneels, three kneel downs and punted and like done nothing. I was, I was originally going to say, why were you, out of everybody, why would you choose to be yeah, Sean Watson? That was certainly <laughs> a comment. <laughs> Was... Uh, excuse me, you're you're making fun of my 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 football hero Deshaun Watson, my baseball hero Wander Franco, Carl Malone the goat. These are all jokes. Please don't cancel me. Uh, Tyree Kill uh, loves his fiance and wife. Big cream. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad people in sport. Oh my god, I can keep going. Greg Hardy, Rice Ray Rice. Ray Rice. I have a game worn jersey of Ray Rice. That is a true story, by the way. <laughs> I'm just burying myself right now at this point. Who else? Of all one. of those. That's what you should be Big Ben. Don't forget Big Ben. Ray Lewis is up there. Who else? Oh, God. Uh, Henry Ruggs. No, oops. Uh, you could go down the list, man. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of all the bad people in sports. How much time? We got another hour, so we can keep going. No, An hour. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, what was funny, though, Last question that came up from the thing I posted on Instagram. Bagel and Wax asked us who your favorite person in all the sports cards is. I assume it's Bagel and Wax, or he was just uh, looking to put you on the spot. Oh, man. I don't have a favorite. Like, and I say this to everybody. And even when I, and if I go out and meet like a girl or something, I tell them what I do. And, and it's great. I could say there are people that I have met in this industry that I would feel comfortable having around my children if I were to have some one day or invite to my wedding or share uh, like the most special moments of my personal life with me. That's how close I am with a lot of people in this industry. And that's a blessing to say. I don't I don't have a specific person that I would call my favorite, but I have a lot of really good friends that I enjoy more than life itself, you know. What a wholesome and nice way to end the Yeah, fuck that. How dare you be so nice? Ty, it's just it's just the truth. I mean, this is it's awesome that we are in this environment, even being on here and being able to talk with you guys. And, and for some reason, someone cares about what we have to say, and that's that's really cool. You know, it's 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 a cool industry we're in. So it is. Yeah, that was that's so nice and wholesome. I feel like I mean that's a perfect bow to end this episode on, but it's too nice. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. I don't feel good. <laughs> but out of series now, Austin, thank you. Pump your your uh, your streaming services, your whatever platforms you want to, real quick, uh, and let's um, wrap. Up. Cool. The Instagrams MPT cards. The repacks are Bada underscore bangs. That's on Instagram as well, and they're sold on Swish Breaks on whatnot. Beautiful. And I'll put the links in the description, like I said. Thank you guys for watching and listening. And, and we'll see you next week. Uh, we have some exciting guests um, that are coming up that uh, I'm not going to share yet because fuck you. Bye. <laughs>